And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm here with Mike Winner, as always, with the extremely brilliant Dr. Bear Paul Lando, coming to us live and direct from the Smith River in the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme. Uh, I had the blessing of being over at the farm yesterday with Bear. We had some really fun talks. I actually got a little workout in with him, too, as well, which was fun. He gave me some pointers on uh, some hip flexor issues I'm having with surfing. So, hey, it was a great hang, man. And were, uh, you, uh, were you in awe watching me do my kettlebell squats? By any chance? Dude, I, I didn't know they made 600-pound kettlebells. <laughs> that was that was impressive. Joe Rogan, watch out. Um, yeah, and our kettle and, uh, <laughs> all that all that weight uh lifted by a vegetarian, uh, I might add. Oh snap, we already uh first shots fired today. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, you know, our kettlebells aren't in the shape of monkey heads, they're in the shape of Illumin Masters heads. So we have the Buddha head, the Jesus head. Um, no, I, for those that are familiar with Joe Rogan, they know he's got like the funny, you know, face heads of the kettlebells. I don't know if they still do that, but, um, well, that being said, we have, uh, Hannah Marie on today, uh, really no points of business. I want to jump right into this. Um, if you guys are new to Alpha Vedic, go to alphavedic.com, A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. The new site is, uh, we're, we're very close guys. I know you've been hearing that for almost a year. Hey, it takes a lot to, to to put out this innovative stuff. Um, and we're very excited about the new membership platform. Uh, you'll be able to go in and message Bear directly and myself and our crew. And 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 also, I think more importantly, is be able to connect yourselves in a secure private platform uh, and create community online so that we can come together in person. Very exciting. Also, it was cool, Bear, to see the, um, the new structure up there at Alpha Vedic Gardens. Uh, shout out to Mark Guyver for all the beautiful work he's done. And of course, to our lovely Shannon, who is there packing boxes probably as we speak. Um, we love you guys. Uh, and please, uh, if you want to support Alpha Vedic, go to alphavedic.com and buy some of our products. It's Christmas time, beautiful gifts for your friends and family. Uh, there is even a way to buy it internationally uh, with uh, a, um, a certain service that people have been pretty happy with. Uh, since we don't offer international shipping. And you can also join us on Telegram at t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. And uh, yeah, that's about all I got. Anything on your end, Bear, before we bring Hannah in? No, I'm, uh, as you saw yesterday, I'm coming to you uh, from my new made-over war room here. And um, I think I detected a little techno envy from you yesterday when you saw all my new technology and but uh, what I'm doing is I'm clearing out and, and uh, uh, making over my room and I'm going to put out my treatment table and a lot of other goodies from my old trade that I haven't had at this location for a long time. So we're going to be doing a lot of videoing in here uh, for um, little workshops on how to do things to the body for practitioners and lay people alike. So we're getting that all ready and that'll be part of our new website. I love it. Yeah, a little envy, a little you have a, a, an amazing rack system with all your tech there. Um, and I know you're transmuting that on the regular with your biogeometry. So we do it all here. That's the thing about Alpha Vedic is that we don't live in fear. We we touch all the subjects. We stick with the moral high ground in terms of universal law, natural law, understanding hermetics, understanding how the you know the best we can how the the how the realm functions. And we go there. And today we're going there. And I'm very excited about this talk because I think it's going to be a deep 
sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, mirror look into ourselves and what we're doing right now as conscious um, sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, protectors of the realm, if you will. So uh, that being said, let's get into it. I'm very excited about this one, Bear, because uh, it's going to trigger a lot of folks, and that can be a very good thing. Triggers are good. We, I was just talking about somatics with Paula Pratt and uh, Sophie Fletcher, who are amazing uh, somatics practitioners, and I think it's an important time right now in the world that we understand that triggers um, are something that can really awaken us to deeper truth and deeper learning about ourselves. So as you're listening today, if you find that you're getting triggered, um, maybe hit pause, uh, do some, some, if you're not familiar with somatics, it's a way that you uh, can recognize your trigger and process it uh, through your body and then hit play again, because this is going to be, I think, a challenging subject for some people. And that's a good thing. Okay, guys. Okay. Without further ado, um, let's just pop into this today. Uh, International human and animal rights activist Hannah Maria rejoins AlphaCast to discuss how we may better honor the essence and purpose of the creature class within our realm. Hannah Maria returns to further explore the practice of carnism and its origins. Some suspect veganism to be a trending ploy to purposely weaken our bodies and vitality, but is animal protein actually necessary? Such discussions are perhaps the most triggering of all subjects, regardless of which side of the culinary fence you reside. But your alpha cast hosts never shy from a provocative conversation. Activist and medicine woman Hannah Maria will expose the insidious ways in which animals continue to be desold in our collective psychology. The debate of dietary choices is left hollow at its core when it lacks the comprehension of the spiritual consequences of enslaving and eating animals. Henna will shed light on the contracts imposed on humanity and the conditions that are inflicted on our collective reality through the, this violent practice. Henna Maria grew up in a tiny town in a Finnish forest, but her calling to explore the world led to an adventurous path of self-discovery and activism beginning at the age 16. Henna Maria's early travels ranged from helping the homeless in San Francisco to her work with Amnesty International and University Studies in Translation Science and Psychology that eventually as a simultaneous um, interpreter in UN peacekeeper trainings. Quote, is it love to remain silent and watch the world burn? In Hannah Maria's own words, as an in, uh, interpreter, one has no voice. And I had a message of my own to share. So in 2011, I started to find my true voice and the spiritual dimension of life began to reveal itself to me. My search to comprehend the inner and outer landscapes of life eventually took me to the cradle of indigenous wisdom, the Amazon rainforest. Together with her husband, she moved to Peru and immersed in five years of learning ancestral healing arts with the Shipibo tribe, specializing in the art of Icaros, songs of prayer and healing. In 2019, Hannah Maria founded Dawn of Peace, bringing together her love for activism and spirituality and began forming a collective of peacemakers with the capacity to address a diversity of world issues from a holistic and compassionate perspective. Our mission is to teach people about the spiritual reality of life, human and animal rights, medical freedom, and self-sovereignty. In response to a rising trend in government totalitarianism, Hannah Maria co-founded the International Police for Freedom Movement, educating police and civilians about our natural rights in order to build unity and rehumanize our societies. Uh, Hannah Maria states, as a true 
lover of humanity, my heart rejoices at the sight of golden threads of human connection being weaved across the world right now. Through excruciating pain, we are finding our sacred boundaries again. We are remembering our purpose and our place in this creation. It is with great honor and gratitude that I carry the medicine of the ancients and continue to walk the path of service. And that quote basically is our motto as well, Bear, huh? Absolutely. <clears throat> Hannah, it's so amazing to have you again today. And uh, as I said, you know, when we we're chatting before, it's been way too long. Um, you know, I remain in awe of everything you've accomplished, uh, the space that you're holding for all of us. And uh, just always, always great to see your shining face. Um, I know today we're going to go a little bit more in depth into the uh, animal rights issue. And it is very triggering. And I know we're also, all of us, wanting to delve deeper into the spiritual implications of, uh, you know, how we treat animals, including consuming them for our food stores. Um, this will definitely bring the trolls out. I'm definitely also going to be ignoring the chat here <laughs> at YouTube because uh, I'll get triggered by the trolls. So... Um, you know, I don't know why it's such an emotion. Well, actually, I, I, I take that back. I do know why it triggers us so much because, you know, food is, um, you know, really associated with our deepest survival issues. And uh, a lot of folks, you know, as I wrote up that uh, little newsletter yesterday, a lot of folks are convinced that it is a um, – kind of a ploy to, uh, you know, take the meat away from people in order to make them weeder, weaker and, and demasculate, you know, the men folk and everything. Um, I look at things a little bit differently in that I have seen many trends come and go over my days in the health industry. And, uh, you know, including vegetarianism, veganism, uh, you know, now we're on the paleo thing. And I think the paleo thing is actually one of those things, uh, you know, that is, um, well, it's selling a lot of products for a lot of people, that's for sure. But I think uh, the whole new trend, there's something going a lot deeper with that. And I know this is a little bit more superficial compared to where we want to go today with this topic, but I think it's it's worth talking about a bit to get started. Um, I've seen a lot of folks that go full on paleo because in their maybe vegan or vegetarian days, they did not really know how to eat a balanced diet and to get the right kinds of foods. So they suffered from that. Also, they maybe transitioned a little too quickly and didn't give their enzyme systems and body a time to transition, but mostly transition on an emotional level because food is an, a very emotional event for all of us. And uh, so I see people that have gone paleo, paleo uh, meaning, you know, just predominantly meat eating. And it is a tonic, you know, in the old days up in the, the mountains in China, the martial artists were all vegetarians and they were like total badasses, could kick the crap out of anybody. On the other hand, they had fish ponds, and if somebody was sick, sometimes they went to the tonifying effects of fish, you know, but temporarily just as a tonic to, you know, to achieve certain things, and then they go back to their normal diets. Um, but, you know, meat eating was not condoned by these, you know, very spiritually and physically adept people. 
And um, in my practice also, uh, I saw people that would go on the the almost 100%, you know, meat diet, they'd feel good for a while, but then it would always catch up and then they'd have health problems of a different type and then have to go back in the other direction. So, you know, as a practitioner, you see many, many people come and go and you get to see in real time uh, over a large, you know, uh, canvas of the population, what really works, what doesn't. Here's the final thing I want to say. Meat eating, um, you know, it can be a tonic. And it also is a resonance. So you can get a temporary effect of feeling better that can compensate for maybe some of your imbalances. But on a resonance level, it's very dense. And it also incorporates, uh, you know, the, the fear and everything that's produced in the animals as they're raised for slaughter, because they know what the heck's going on even before the slaughter. So now when we consume that, it's, it, it lowers the ceiling on our own consciousness as far as uh, our perceptive bandwidth and our perceptive bandwidth in other words the raising of our consciousness is what will produce long-term health effects in the body so people mistake these short-term tonifying effects for health when in the fact they're shooting themselves in the foot by uh, dampening those perceptive bandwidths and uh, lowering their consciousness, which is the only thing that animates our body or keeps it going in the first place. So it's kind of ironic. And I think we're really looking at it short-sighted, but uh, you know, welcome, thanks for being with us. And maybe if we can just start a little bit from the food angle, but then go into the deeper ramifications that you're better equipped to talk about. Thank you so much for inviting me on, uh, Bar and, and Mike. And yeah, I do appreciate starting from the kind of maybe the base level, uh, seeing animals as food. But um, where we will go today is I, I will talk about how actually they're not food. There, there are other beings that we share this this realm with and that are our teachers and, and uh, brothers and sisters. But um, yeah, the way we've been brought up and in our modern culture, we do perceive them as a as a dietary choice, you know, as whether there's a carrot or a potato or bread or gluten or animal or red meat or white meat. So it's, it's kind of all mixed in into this uh, food pyramid. So we perceive them as, as a choice of food, like anything else. Mm, I, I guess uh, something really important to think about is, is that where we are now is we're basically zoo beings, you know, we're, we're not, um, wild humans living off the land anymore. And our perception of that wild human being is colored and distorted through the history that we've been fed, right? So we all have a, we have an idea of what that free roaming uh, nature being human being would be like. And in all those stories, we imagine a hunter, you know, we speak of hunters and gatherers. But I would question that as, as the base assumption that what if that is actually not true? What if that is just the most recent part of history that we've adopted as the origin of humanity? What if actually we grew in reciprocal symbiotic relationship with animals and it's only through the fall of consciousness, the fall of man, that violence became a part of our uh, fabric? Perhaps that never was the case. Maybe we were never designed to, to be this way. So when we start talking about how we eat, how we behave, what is human, what is natural, I would like to just kind of 
try and clear the the canvas and and kind of ask people to say or ask people to to ponder that how much do I actually know of the being that I've been designed to be you know how much I have these filters and layers and beliefs there that are yeah distorting perhaps the stories that I carry in in myself about who I am but one of those kind of very common uh, misconceptions is that Native Americans would have been meat eaters. But this is only in the recent history of when they were driven out of the gardens into the rocky terrains where nothing grew. But they were originally gardeners. And there's a great um, article about that that people can check out called uh, Native Americans and Vegetarianism, which talks about the Cherokees, how they were actually vegetarians and I can read the quote here. Um, a French manuscript of the 18th century describes the uh, the vegetarian leanings in shelter and food. The homes were constructed not of skins, but of wood, mud, bark, and cane. The principal food eaten daily from earthen pots was a vegetarian stew containing corn, pumpkin, and beans. The bread was made from corn and acorns. Other common favorites were roasted corn and corn porridge. The ancient uh, Chautas were first and foremost farmers. Even the clothing was plant-based, artistically embroidered dresses for the women and cotton breeches for the men. Uh, Chautas never adorned their hair with feathers even. So just to put a little seed there, like, all right, well, maybe the, the image that I have of the origin of humanity and the way humans should be in the wild is not exactly correct. And there's many different tribes, you know, the in the Andes, the Incas that, you know, were marvelous uh, performers in athletics and they just ate chia seeds and quinoa, you know? So it's, we have a lot of uh, perceptions on what is strength, what is resilience, what is masculinity through the very modern um, lens that, that we carry, just this modern narrative of, of humanity. Um, regarding the health effects, again, we have to examine our bodies like we are the product of the full world, right? So we are born into a polluted world. We are injected with foreign matter, uh, metals, chemicals, aborted human fetus cells from our very first months of our lives. So when you look at our biology and the symptomology that we suffer with, it can be actually quite tricky to establish the baseline of where the health is if it's already so dainted with all these unnatural artificial influences in us. So when you think of, okay, someone's gone vegan and they're now unwell, you mentioned Bar about the detoxification and transitioning period, which is a very real thing because you're changing your fuel. So you need to first and foremost, hydrate a lot more because you have so much more fiber in your system when you go plant-based and dehydration symptoms can be a huge part of the symptomology that arise when people transition into a vegan diet. But then aside from that, there's also how well are your organs functioning to begin with? How well are you able to absorb the nutrients from the food? You know, how is your detoxification system functioning? So if you already compromised from a young age, because we live this zoo life, you know, we don't get the exercise we need. We eat foods that are toxic. We get injected with all this weird stuff and pumped with pharmaceuticals then is it any wonder that if we return to a diet that was the way 
I've come to see and learn uh, design for a human being, which is plants, that there is some sort of malfunction or dysfunction because our organism isn't working the way that it should be. So when you hear those stories of, oh, someone went vegan and, and their health collapsed, you know, okay, what else was happening? <laughs> you know, it's it's not so simple. And same with the paleo thing. Someone went paleo, okay, what what else was happening? Maybe they eliminated a lot of the toxins and the junk food from their diet. So we need to be aware of that. What are all these different ingredients that are that are affecting our health? And then, of course, the psycho-spiritual elements of food. If we are craving life force, then perhaps the way that we can fill that void is taking it from another being. And it's it's a, basically a stealing of another being's prana in a kind of roundabout way. So what can we do to be able to generate this life force within us? And maybe that is a hard journey and maybe it is a painful journey. And perhaps some people's bodies have been compromised in a way where it's no longer possible. And this is where it's morally now a, a big question. You know, why do we eat meat? Is it as a medicine? Because our bodies are so fundamentally injured that we cannot simply survive with plants as we're supposed to. You know, then that brings a whole other question to the, you know, equation. If, if it is literally the only thing you can eat then that is the principle of self-defense, which we have, a, it's our sacred right. We all have the right to, you know, do what is necessary for, for our bodies to survive. But if it's not for that purpose, and we are capable of eating plants, then he, here's where my story begins. <laughs> then why would you eat? Why would you eat animals if you can live and thrive with plants? You're muted, Bear. <laughs> no, I was just saying, uh, excellent question. I'd like to hear your whole take on it. Yeah. You know, my, um, maybe I should start why I changed my, my uh, way of living. Cause it's not just a diet, you know, it's, it's a whole worldview. And uh, just to give people the, the background that I, I'm not sitting on some sort of a high horse because a lot of people think immediately that, oh, you're judging everybody. And what you were saying, Barry, that you earlier before we started recording, that you're interested in how things function and how to solve things, like on a very practical level. Well, this is at the core of my activism and my work also in the healing arts is understanding the sickness and then what is the remedy and how to apply that. And I'm I'm interested in like the core the core malady in humanity. What is causing that? What is the spiritual sickness at the core of it? And I see carnism as being the first spell, the first curse put on humanity. And we can go deeper into that. But so I didn't know any of this. I was oblivious to the spiritual consequences of eating animals, to myself and to the whole, to, to humanity, to creation. I'm born into the zoo. And this is how I create my idea of normality and, and what is natural. I'm living in this artificial environment and this is how I learn right and wrong from my parents, from my culture. So I have no reference and any deeper reference. And so I take it as, as the norm. You, of course you eat animals. 
while I also claim to love them and while I have had animal companions and lived alongside them and pet them and, you know, would go at great lengths to make it, making sure that they're fine. So genuinely caring about animals. But then there's this massive disconnect. So how is that born? We, we can talk about that later. And I, I was already an activist uh, working for human rights. Mm. And then I come across this man. It was one fated night in London in a bus stop in Trafalgar Square. I was visiting my cousin there. And there's this Occupy London activist stood next to me. This is like 3 a.m. And he says to me, hey, do you realize we're wearing the same exact outfit? And I look and literally we, we were like, <laughs> he was the male version of what I was wearing, a like a secondhand army jacket and black, uh, black um, jeans and, and shoes. And he was doing the same exact thing. He was also blonde. So he was like the male version of me, the weirdest thing. And he started talking to me. So totally a random uh, synchronistic uh, coincidence type scenario. And he tells me about his activism, that he's actually, you know, living in this bank that is empty, that they've occupied and they're turning it into a free school. And brilliant guy, you know. So I'm captivated by his energy and his, his visionary, you know, approach to life. And he's asking me, well, what, what's your thing? You know, it's not caring at all about occupations or where I'm from or just like, what, what do you drive for? What, what, what is your, your passion in life? And I'm like, well peace and love basically I'm, I'm an activist too for human rights and then he's like okay well what about animals are you vegan too and it was just this question that nobody had ever asked me and i was kind of caught off guard and he's like well why not and i didn't have a response i literally did not have a response i honestly had never thought about that topic as crazy as it sounds, as an activist, you know, working for freedom, human rights, equality, peace, never ever considered animals until this guy asked me this question very bluntly, but without any judgment. And then he goes on to explaining to me some of the practices that take place in slaughterhouses and how animals are exploited and how there's certain techniques they do to make the meat more addictive, like slaughtering cows in a way where they actually look at each other in the eyes. So when one's throat is slit, the other one gets filled with adrenaline and then that adrenaline, adrenaline is in the meat. And then when you eat it, you get hooked. So all these things that he was sharing to me and I just immediately felt like, oh my God, I've been deceived. And I started realizing that it's not out of my own choice that I live the way that I do that I've somehow been indoctrinated into a belief system where the lives of animals don't matter. And so I, this um, was a beginning of this gigantic cog that started turning in my consciousness and my life was forever changed just from this one conversation. So I guess my intention and my, my wish and my hope for today that this, this conversation we're having could be that spark, that little seed, that little inspiration for someone out there who is watching this, just to reconsider, you know, who are animals to me? Uh, do their lives matter to me? What is my relationship to them? Why do I eat them? You know, on, um, on a creation level, um, the, the, the primary, um, multiplication of forms from consciousness from our creator 
comes from, uh, you know, when we differentiate between seven basic uh, rays, we'll say, uh, color qualifications, and then those step down through the ethers and precipitate all life and all matter and all levels, including the uh, four kingdoms on this in, within this realm, uh, being first the mineral, uh, then the uh, plant, and then the animal, and then the human kingdom. And when you understand the mechanics of that, which is where I like to go, you see that each of the four kingdoms exemplifies, um, is a combination of all the seven rays, but it in particular exemplifies either two or three of these rays. And the animal kingdom, which is right before the, the kingdom of mankind, uh, is the, um, has two rays, the third ray of active intelligence and the sixth ray of devotion. Now they have those two rays because they're the, the embodiment of the creator's intelligence in a life form. And then they also have that ray of devotion that is really meant to connect them with us. Uh, the animal kingdom is very devoted to us. And also they are the individualizations of consciousness just to step down from us. And, uh, you know, maybe even embarking on an individualization on a higher level like ourselves, but there's this special bond, uh, you know, between human and animal. So when you start to see that and how these animals are here for us in a certain way, and then also like in the Ascended Master teachings, they talk about how the domestication of animals was to bring certain species of animals closer into the realm of humans and through that uh, allow humans to love them into a different state of being to a, into a higher realm and there's also stories within those circles that uh, at one time in our distant past when we were much closer to our powers of instant precipitation before the fall so-called um, but then we started descending into expressing uh, ourselves from lower emotional states but we're still in those uh, you know those powers of instant precipitation we started precipitating animal forms that were the embodiment of our lower emotions. And I, you know, I don't know if this is anything you subscribe to, but there's uh, it makes a lot of sense to me, but then bringing us back full circle to right now, it's our responsibility to free these animal forms from, um, you know, embodying, you know, what we did way long ago and in the process um you know, free them and also free ourselves and, and, you know, what we created, not that animals were lower forms in a negative sense. They were just mirroring to us some of the, uh, you know, traits that we started portraying instead of, you know, coming from a higher level of consciousness. So I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but I think there's, you know, absolutely a, a stronger, or let's just say a closer bond with ourselves, the animal kingdom that we can possibly appreciate. Yes, I, I totally resonate with that notion of the killing in the animal kingdom being actually caused by our, our fall in consciousness. And that in the original garden or the Garden of Eden or the paradise, the, the wolf and the, the, the lamb, the lion and the lamb would be, you know, they would be companions. There would be no predators or preys. And um, I, I published a presentation uh, about 10 days ago or something where I go into this question a lot uh, called animals are kin. Maybe it can be linked in the show notes for people to watch, but about 45 minutes of it, I am actually just exploring that question of 
who who are they what are their qualities you know what kind of consciousness do they embody and i absolutely see this that they are here for us and we are also here for them so we we can co-evolve right and in the native american shamanic traditions they talk about animals carrying medicine so you have you know the eagle medicine the bear medicine and what does that mean the way i see it is that they are they're expressing and embodying a certain divine quality that we have the capacity to also express and by tuning into to them and their their life and their form and their behavior and their their gifts their skills then it's almost like a mirror for us to see whether we actually have those skills developed in us or those aspects developed in us so imagine a human being as the ultimate combination and accumulation of all the different animal medicines this is the way i see it like the the ultimate guardian and steward and and protector of the creation uh, also having all those qualities from the mineral to the plant to the animal kingdom and to the nature spirits within us so it's not that they are here for us to be our property but to be like yeah other beings that that in a mystical unspoken way express uh, a divine sacred quality and and, and because and yeah go ahead no i was just going to say from that ray perspective uh mankind the fourth kingdom uh of the creator is the embodiment of all of the other ray attributes of the other three kingdoms so we are meant to be responsible empathetic caretakers yes yes exactly and and i do think that this is rising in our consciousness and in our blood in our dna this memory of who we are who we're meant to be and this is why there are such aspirations now for people to develop spiritually and this is one of the reasons why i want to talk about animals and eating animals mm -hmm. because what i perceive is that there is such an urgent uh desire for us to ascend or or spiritually evolve that we like to take shortcuts and we like to achieve that image of the enlightened buddha you know <laughs> sitting in a lotus position under the bodhi tree in perfect equilibrium with creation without the work that it took to to get there and so how can we get there if we think that <laughs> All, all that we have is basically this artificial zoo environment and we've pretty much lost the original knowledge. Well, thankfully, we have some little pieces of evidence that have been left behind by, by you know, our elders, by our ancestors in sacred scripture in cultures that are still indigenous. And for me, when I, when I talk about indigenous, I like to go into the deeper root of this word, you know, indigenous born within so when you live from within inside out you, the knowledge comes from this inner well and is expressed through you and um shared into the creation outside of you into the ex external world whereas we are exogenous we accumulate things the modern man from the outside and take it in and try and in this way embody the knowledge so 
we are all indigenous, of course. Originally, we are in, 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 in indigenous to the land that where we come from. But there are still tribes that are indigenous in the true sense of the word, that they don't read, they don't write. They have this source open in them. They have this infinite well, this fountain of wisdom that is just present in their bodies, in their beings. And I know this because I've lived alongside some of these incredible people that are to me a mirror of what a human being can be not to say that all indigenous people and all tribes are are pure there's a lot of corruption and war and violence there also but there are still examples of that organic spiritual wisdom that we can generate without reading a single book without watching a single youtube video and so that how do we, from the scriptures, from communing with this kind of individuals, from taking medicines from the earth that are like keys of the creation to take us back home, how do we, with their help, begin to see reality with clarity instead of through these distortions that have been placed in our minds? And one of them is carnism. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about consciousness here, right? And really being honest with ourselves and really coming to a higher understanding of what we are, what it means to be human and what it means to be here right now. And um, I think, you know, it's important to understand basic principles. I always love going to basic principles. So, you know, natural law, we talk a lot about what does that mean? You know, you have the seven principles of the hermetic laws. Right. And those are very great to know because it allows us to to be easier on ourselves and understanding that everything is to the law of polarity. For instance, there is nothing black and white. Everybody's on a different level of the scale. And so and also due to uh, the principle of um, vibration, everybody's in a different vibratory state. Nothing is stable. Nothing is 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 here where we're stuck. So that being said, Everybody has a, has a chance to evolve. Uh, that's why we're here, right? So uh, I think the point is that we all need to be compassionate about where we're at and understanding that if we go into a purity spiral on this topic, you can just keep going to where literally even breathing is eating a microorganism and you're killing a consciousness, right? So I think it's important for us to be to understand that in order to really embrace the moral nature of this, we have to understand that nothing, that nothing is per like everything is in flux. Nothing is permanent. We have the ability to constantly come back and change and evolve. So that's what we're talking about in terms of our relationship with plants, with animals, with the air, with the water, and having that compassion and that honesty so that we can um, sort of make the right decisions for us right now, but understanding that we have an infinite amount of time to evolve towards this, but we also have a responsibility right now to do what's moral and right for where we stand. And so it's... I think it's important not to purity spiral off on this, but I think it's also important to be as honest as we can about ourselves where we are right now. And I do agree. I think the, I know the animal kingdom is a reflection of where we are in consciousness. That's why it's here. And that our emotions literally create the animals that exist on this planet. So when we pass away, our emotions that we have created over the time of our lifespan actually go into the form realm and create the animals that are on the planet. 
That's how I see it. And so when we live in a realm of war and, and mistrust and animosity, we have an animal kingdom that, that reflects that. And so it's our duty to evolve. And so that animal kingdom can thus evolve as well and represent to us in physical form, the beauty of consciousness and where consciousness can go. So when we're eating the, and destroying these animals, we're destroying ourselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's where I love to take it as well. Uh, talking about how things function, you know, understanding the hermetic principles and, and the law of correspondence. So whatever we do to ourselves is actually what will be done to others also and, and vice versa. So what and we do to others will be done to us. Yes. And that's why animals eat other animals right now, because we're literally eating them. It's it's a circular cause and effect. Everything else, it's another principle, cause and effect, right? So yeah. literally to get out of this vicious cycle, it is up to us as the doer with the rightness, with the conscious, con conscious, not con well, we're con conscious, but also we have our conscience, our conscience, yes. right? We, the that is coming from the divine knower. We know deep down inside what is right and wrong. We don't need to read a book for that. We don't need a teacher for that. We know we have that power inside us. And that comes down to honesty, but also comes down to understanding where you're at right now. So it's a it's With, a powerful um, spiritual uh, journey. Go ahead, Bear. Uh, I was just going to add that uh, another great attribute of animals is they mirror back to us exactly where we're at where we are at. And, um, you know, I live in an area where we're way out in the middle of nowhere and there's more creatures than there are people by a long shot. And, uh, there are a lot of big animals. There's a lot of lions. Uh, you know, we hear them, we see them. Uh, there's bears that are just, you know, kind of walking by all the time. Sometimes I'll need to get out to my truck and there's a bear sitting there. So I have to have a conversation with it. And, uh, you know, they really respect when you are comfortable with them and are not afraid of them. And then, you know, there's a, there's a great rapport with that. And we all subsist together very peacefully because of that. And everybody leaves everybody alone. Now we also have a regular flux of visitors here on the farm. And they know also that there are these creatures here, but most people that come from the city environment are very much in fear of them. And uh, so much so that, uh, you know, even sleeping in our guest, guest house, uh, one individual was afraid to even sleep by the window because they knew a bear frequently, you know, walked around the deck outside and looked in the windows, you know. And so it's just, uh, I think, being comfortable with ourselves, all of those nature, uh, you know, uh, attributes that uh, uh, animals embody that are part of us. But it is a great reflection. And of course, it always goes back to, I think, our our one biggest, um, you know, downfall is just disconnecting ourselves from nature in the first place. And I really love what you said about indigenous because that has been so misused in our culture to romanticize certain cultures just because they happen to have been born in a certain area or within a certain, you know, uh, you know, racial group, and then at the same time demean uh, those of us that may be embodied in a different culture at a different time. When in fact, we're all indigenous, uh, exactly like you say, and I think you just put it beautifully. So that was wonderful. Yeah, thank you. That I think th this is part of that <laughs> devaluation program that we have here in the West, always right. thinking that someone else has the answer and 
yeah, looking up to saviors and, and uh, not to say that there aren't them, you know, that's a whole nother conversation about Christ and everything, but, but yes, to, to know that we all have the capacity to evolve or perhaps maybe even just to return, return to our true origin. For me, I've started thinking about it in this way, because I feel that if I think that there's some thing that I need to evolve into, that it's almost unattainable in some way, it's, I can't quite reach it. I, I'm not really sure what it is because I need to go to a new place. Whereas if I think of it as I need to return to my true self, my original being, my original soul, it feels more safe. It feels more attainable. It feels familiar because I was already there, <laughs> you know? So it's like, all I need to know is just find my way back, my way back home. And, and I, this reality is a wonderful compass and a map constantly reflecting to us where we are morally. And this is why we have these laws in, in creation, right? Their, their purpose is to, uh, uh, is to direct and straighten us by giving us the reflection of what we've done. So it's a, it's a loving creation, right? And so the cause and effect and law of correspondence ensure that we have to learn from what we do. And so if we hold these beliefs that carnism is, is one of, that we can dominate, you know, then we, by that same token, we accept the condition of domination in this creation. Because we make the laws, you know, on one hand, there are these universal laws that are in place, but on, on another hand, we are also creator beings, you know, we're been made in the image of the creator. So it means we are constantly creating the conditions of this reality. You know, what are our conditions for being here? And so if we enslave beings that we perceive to be lower than us, then we accept the condition of slavery on this earth. We accept the condition that being that perceives them to be higher than us can enslave that, us by that same token. Everything's a mirror. Everything is two-way thing. If we think we can hold this animal on a leash, then another being thinks they can hold us on a leash, you know, whether it's metaphorically or, or physically. If we think we can devour these babies, uh, lamb or, or piglets or, you know, little chicks, then there are other beings that think that they can devour our young, which they are doing. And this is why I think this conversation is so very important in this community, like with your people in the Alpha Veda community, it's because we are all aspiring to create the condition of freedom on earth, aren't we? Isn't this like one of the fundamental reasons why we're here together, why we are creating community? Because we want freedom on earth. How can we ever do that if we are unconsciously creating the condition of slavery over and over and over again, because we are practicing these things we are enslaving, exploiting, you know, paying for other people to rape other animals. You know, we don't need to go into the practices that happen in slaughterhouses, but I, I do invite everyone to do that research on their own because it's not an opinion. It's not a theory. It's fact. And if there is a I, reason I that spent... you don't want to know about it, then you need to ask yourself, why, why don't you know what happens in slaughterhouses? I was, uh, when I was playing college football, you know, you, you sometimes take on a summer job and one of our alumni offered me a job working in a local slaughterhouse that he owned. 
Uh, I spent one afternoon there and then never went back. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm a 280-pound football player back then, you know, not a raw food vegan that I would later become in my adult life. And um, it was so appalling to me. I just It just changed me forever. Uh, you know, I still ended up consuming a lot of chickens from that point on, but I never ate red meat again after that day. Just it was so, so disturbing to me. So uh, I think, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Go see, um, you know, how that nice, you know, pink, flink, uh, you know, uh, shrink wrap piece of flesh in your grocery store shelf gets there and, you know, what price animals had to pay for that. You know, there's a great um, little story in uh, the first book of the St. Germain series, which is uh, something, you know, we were talking about earlier that's been around for a long time with the originators of of that whole um, school of thought, you know, and it isn't a new agey thing. And when you're in those original groups, as we were many decades ago, you see a lot of validation and proof of everything they say in those books. But this uh, one story is wonderful and that... Um, Guy Ballard is uh, hiking on Shasta and then comes across a gentleman and we won't go into all the names and everything, but that's interesting too. And, um, but anyway, he encounters a panther and he had, uh, you know, an initial moment of fear, but then contained himself. And then the panther just simply came up once the fear was contained and just, you know, he started scratching the panther's head and then St. Germain appeared to him. And uh, but uh, through the whole course of the, the story there, St. Germain explained how that panther, because of the association of that love and absence of fear from Guy Ballard, um, uh, was able to free that animal forever. And St. Germain said, well, the, the panther will never hunt deer again and will simply, uh, you know, be freed from his form forevermore. So, you know, wonderful story. And also in those uh, teachings, uh, Saint Germain very explicitly says that you know someday very soon mankind will look upon the habit of meat eating as we now look upon cannibalism, and I really feel very strongly that there's no difference. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I I've thought about that question a lot. What is the origin of this spell? Um, and carnism, how I define it, is it's a belief it's a belief system according to which. Violence to animals is justified by the pleasure that it gives us. So this is how I define carnism as a, as a philosophy. Um, that it comes from the time that Enoch describes in, in maybe I should read the quote. Um, it's in my other presentation as well, but, but this to me resonates as the origin This is Enoch 7 from Book of Enoch. And all the others together with them took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one, and they began to go in unto them and to defile themselves with them. So this is talking about when the fallen angels came down to earth and took human wives. And so then he goes on to talk about the human wives, and they became pregnant, and they bare great giants, also known as Nephilim whose height was 3,000 L's, who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish 
and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. So when I think of the law, you know, the, the eternal law, natural law, thou shalt not kill, you know, love one another. This, this in scripture describes an event when the devouring of other beings began through a spiritual crime of, you know, defiling human nature with this fallen spiritual being. So we can go into this for hours and hours and hours and go into all the different counts and scriptures and, and where did we come from? What are we? But um, to me, just this describes so well that it's called, it's called sinning, sinning against birds, beasts, reptiles, fish. So when we are taking their bodies and devouring them in this context, you know, this is what I would call the origin of carnism. And I have some slides, um, if you guys wanted to see, just to go deeper yeah, into please. the modern, I just kind of the way that we yeah. desoul animals in our collective psychology these days. I, I think it's important for people to realize too that thoughts and our past lives affect us now. So our thoughts from thousands of years ago from the fall are still affecting us now. And if we haven't done the work over previous lives, this is my opinion, but I've got this through lots of lots of research through uh, really foundational books of, of researchers and people who have, you know, gone out of body, near-death experiences, et cetera, and just using really, you know, foundational uh, a priori wisdom and knowledge is understanding that if we have been in this dense material world for thousands of lifetimes, it's going to be difficult for someone to go vegan, essentially, if they're in a certain path towards their thoughts so if the, you know so i think we all we need to understand everybody's different depending on what your lifespans have done so this is an evolving thing that henna is trying to get at that she's not judging or casting stones if you eat meat i eat meat right now i'm not there yet and i don't judge myself for it I try to be as humane as possible. We mostly eat chicken eggs. We have our own chickens. I think actually chicken eggs are a great protein to get because it's a, you know, a, it's a hen that's laying an egg that isn't fertilized. It's just going to be there anyways. Any, you know, there's lots of ways to go about this, but I eat meat and I'm not judging myself as a sinner. I'm understanding that where I am in my path towards my consciousness is where I'm at right now. And I'm doing everything to evolve towards a higher ability to eventually become a breatharian or whatever. So I just wanted to stress that in the chat. There's no judgment here. There's no casting no. stones. It's about henna speaking her truth. And I think these are very, very important concepts about what it means to be a conscious, to be consciousness. And that no, humans are not animals. We aren't animals. We are divine consciousness. We have a role to play and animals are a reflection of that. Um, so I just wanted to stress that again. Go ahead, Hannah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is no judgment. It's it's just understanding of what are we creating. So yeah. the I, laws I of do have some. I do have some strong feelings about uh, Michael's lifestyle choices, though. Yeah, he berates yeah. me and uh, continually. He actually comes over and flogs me once a week every time I eat a piece of chicken. It's <laughs> but we're getting there. We're getting there. Go ahead. Yeah. Just kidding. Hey, but I was, uh, I went, I went from again, uh, you know, 100, 280 pound football player to raw food vegan and everything in between. So I have no 
judgment about anything. And then also playing doctor for a long time. You know, I learned the art of meeting people where they're at and you don't berate people. You don't try to uh, bring them into a state of being that they aren't there yet. And it wouldn't work out well physically for them anyway. So uh, no, I hear, I agree with everything Michael's saying. And uh, and, uh, and we yeah. will have, we oh, will I- have <laughs> Devon, the black airbender, uh, who's amazing. He is a breatharian. And he will be on the show. I'm, we're booking him right now. If you're familiar with Devon, I don't know if you know him, Hannah, but that's the whole other spectrum we're going to get into, right? So not even eating vegetables or fruit or anything. So anyways, remember, guys, it's let's get out of the gross materialism. People are asking mm-hmm. here, I want scientific facts. I want to know what I haven't heard, seen any actual grammar or logic yet for your rhetoric. Hey, that's a great critic. You know, if that's a critical response right now, and I told him to go watch a Joe Rogan podcast, that wasn't a slight. That wasn't, I'm not, you know, knocking you, bro. I'm just saying that we are going into the philosophical, you know, basis for these concepts. And when you start to go and I want to know the facts about this, what are you saying? That's gross materialism. That's chemistry. That's that's the after effects. We're going, we're, we're taking this from a more philosophical, spiritual perspective. Uh, go ahead. Henry. Yes. Which is the thing that is always missing, you know, what what frustrates me as having been an animal rights activist for 10 years, almost 11 now, is that it always goes into a debate. And, and, and I it's sad for me because it's not about me or you. It's about the animals. This is why I'm here talking is because they are another being, you know. I don't care if you choose to eat carrots or potatoes. That has no reference or no, it has no meaning for me. But when it's another being that is carrying an individuated spark of consciousness that has an individual soul that wants to live, that I'm sure all of us naturally feel love and you know affinity to when we encounter an animal in the wild, then my question is why don't why don't we live according to that? What happens to us? So I'm not trying to blame anyone. I'm trying to say, look, we've all been had. We have all been put under a spell of carnism. And it has ancient spiritual roots. And it's to do with very, very dark practices of animal murders, ritual murders, which are called sacrifices. But actually, it's not sacrifice because you don't own the animal. So you can't sacrifice anything that isn't yours. Animals don't belong to us. They're a being of their own right. So you can't ever sacrifice an animal. It's always a, it's always a, a murder. You're always taking a life that isn't yours. So it's a bit like the abortion question. Oh, I have the right to my body. Yes, but you don't have the right to the body that's inside your body. That's another being. So we have to be, you know, very clear with ourselves. What are we talking about? And I'm talking about animals as a creation. That is not me or you or anybody watching. They're their own being. And I'm sure we all have natural love for them. So I want to rekindle that. I want to go into that. But in order to, you know, allow ourselves to have space to rekindle that love, we need to see in which ways the popular culture is distorting this natural love, in which ways it's objectifying animals and sexualizing their bodies. So this one, I want to just show a couple of slides as I think this is really at the core of everything. And once you come to see this, so this is the way we're being manipulated and this is the way our image of animals and meat is created, then I think a lot of the people in the chat are going to find a different tone as well. (laughs) So I will uh, share the screen. I'll say I used to really enjoy fishing. Um, 
you know, here on the river, not even that long ago. And I actually stopped fishing for sport because I felt like I was torturing those poor fish by the, the, the hooking them and gutting them. And sometimes they wouldn't make it. And I'm like, what? So I can just play and, uh, what, you know, as a sport and I actually quit and I, I will fish for food every now and then for my family. Um, but, and I do everything in my power to barbless hooks and catching, you know, when I, if I grab them by the tail, et cetera, but I actually stopped fishing for sport two years ago because of this, because I realized what am I doing here? Why am I torturing these fish? Yeah, it's amazing when you start connecting on a deeper level to, to different beings and different classes of animals, you know, fish is one of those that we tend to always place on the lower classes of intelligence. I had one uh, experience which blew me away. Uh, maybe I just put this away for a bit or, oh, it's okay. I was in a in a park, this is a couple of years ago, and there was a park with koi fish. You know, they're, they're the ones that are always in people's tattoos, these really gorgeous Japanese fish. And I was putting my finger in the water to see if it will try and catch it. Mm -hmm. And every time it would come and I'd, I'd pull my finger away. I did it a couple of times and this fish swam towards me and he sp splashed his tail and just got me soaking wet. <laughs> and he's like, stop messing around with me. <laughs> I realized like, wow. They're well, so I mean, intelligent. Look at dolphins. Me a lesson. Look at dolphins. Look at whales. I just saw a video of a uh, someone up in Alaska playing uh, football with a uh, was it a beluga whale, and the, it was there was such an interplay of fun and frivolity, and it was it brought a, almost a tear to my eye and how cool it was. So, yeah, and I, I can't wait to hear your mouse story. I hope you talk about the mouse today. Because oh yeah, okay. I, I can tell. I story. <laughs> I can't stand vermin like here on the farm and on our property with rats, and we actually have a terrier who you know kills rats for us because they're. I see them as vermin, but then also I know people that have pet rats. I mean, so this yeah. is going back to again the just the such the different vibration or the rhythm of 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 how we relate to these things. It can be so different. But um, go ahead. Yeah, Anna. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I just want to uh, shed light on this 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 concept of carnism more through these images that we all see in the popular culture, you know, memes, advertising. And here, you know, I chose these two because actually this is something that vegans come across a lot is the bacon argument. Mmm, but bacon. So, okay, let's start there. Uh, I chose one of, this is a, actually a product, some sort of, uh, my dog is here. <laughs> you want to say hello? He felt the need to come and say hello. This is Waiki. He's a rescue. <laughs> want to say hi? Oh, so um, this this is actually like sliced up bacon and it's called Puzzle Pe Peppa Pig. And uh, the fact that we have products like, like this just shows me of something of our, our moral standards, you know, that as if it was some sort of a joke, you know, this is a hacked up body of, a, of another being and it's drawn into a silly cartoon and then, oh, it's a puzzle. Can you put it back together? And bacon is love you can eat. So this is one of the questions that I would like to pose to everyone who's tuning in today. Is the suffering of another justified by the pleasure it gives you? And this is a, 
This is a theme that you often come across in advertising is the pleasure aspect. So here's where you know that it's actually not about surviving. It's not about, I have to provide for my family and there's nothing else available, but I actually just enjoy the taste of these products. And I chose this, again, this is a bacon company's ad. I can't keep my hands off you as, and by the way, you guys are free to comment as well what these uh, arouse in you. But as an example of the perverted, vile, distorted way that body of an animal has been turned into some sort of sexual object of se sexual desire with this black glove. There's just so much wrong there in this in this image to me. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things too we're dealing with is modernism uh, is the commodification of everything. So yeah. the, the the market principles behind this, um, you know, versus sort of a uh, indigenous culture that were celebrating the swine for their food uh, is a completely different, you know, relationship than now. And that's really what this is about, too, is this is about humanity being turned into this sort of mechanized systemic approach from the 20th century that's carried on into this century where it led to world war one and two and all these things uh charles eisenstein is brilliant at talking about this where we've literally because of the machine and what the machine supposedly done for us we've literally become cogs in the wheel of that machine and so we yeah. mechanized ourselves and commoditize every aspect of our life, including our obviously our food, which is something everybody relates to. So we're seeing that now, of course, in like the barbecue competitions, right? And um, the Food Network, right? Which I used to be a huge fan back in the day, watching Food Network for the cooking shows and things like that. The culinary arts, all of that um, is uh, obviously commodified in ways where we we our consciousness gets kind of swept away into the um, allure of it. Um, and uh, I think it's very important for us to step back and have these kind of discussions where we go, oh my God, yeah, that is horrendous. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no, it's... I, go ahead. It also speaks to, you know, it's always appealing to our emotional body. And I think the proof that, um, you know, it's more of an emotional attachment than anything is that, you know, I haven't eaten meat in decades and um, I have no taste for it, no desire for it. But if I'm out somewhere and I smell a barbecue, it actually smells good. And of course, the olfactory sense is uh, most closely related to our emotional body than any of the five senses. So it just, to me, illustrates how deep those emotional uh, connections go. Totally. And also just going back to what you were saying, Mike, about uh, that we are some sort of a product now these days, like we are, we've been made into almost like a new class of a being, which is the consumer. And also I see that our minds have been very much hijacked and the thoughts that we carry and the choices we make oftentimes are not coming from a free will decision, but it's actually a program that has been installed into us. And this is how I see that carnism works, that if we had the free will choice as a child, to either eat animals or not, I don't think any of us would eat animals. You know, my my husband actually, he's Persian. And when he was six years old, he witnessed the slaughter of a lamb in Iran. And he went into full bone terror mode. He was screaming and crying and kicking. And 
his parents had to take him out of the space uh, because it was just utter gore, you know, the horror of, of killing a baby animal. And uh, he still remembers it to this day. But that evening he was fed the lamb without his knowledge. So he didn't understand that he's now eating the very same creature that he had to, you know, yeah. watch and be traumatized by. So me- I don't think we <laughs> any of us has chosen to eat this way. I think it's just yeah. been programmed into us. It makes me think of the uh, Silence of the Lambs. Maybe that film was a sort of, uh, you know, declaration about carnism because then you have Hannibal, you know, you have the famous line about, I can hear the cry of the lambs. And then, of course, Hannibal Lecter is literally eating humans. I mean, there's some some interesting uh, (laughs) correlations going on there. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, of course, the advertising industry is connecting the flesh a lot to you know other flesh desires so sexual desires this is a uh, advert by arby's it says we're about to reveal something you'll really drool over and we can all see what is the the symbol here (laughs) and there's bacon in that that burger and cheese of course as well and this is burger king advert it'll blow your mind away burger king super seven inch and wow. you can, again, very clearly see what this is <laughs> implying here. So how much of this kind of imagery is there in our subconscious mind? Because, you know, everything we've ever seen is actually stored there. So, so how much of these programs are active there when we make those choices in, in grocery shops? And obviously there's a relationship to sex here. And yeah. it's interesting um, that the word carnal, right, your carnal desires, and then... Yeah sort of what we're talking about with eating meat, carn, you know, carnivore, carn, that's all related. And really, yes. isn't that interesting how they tie that in together? And reading this book uh, by Harold Walden Percival, Thinking and Destiny, um, which I've talked about a lot recently because it's very been a very impactful book on me. He specifically says animals are actually formed from all of our carnal desires from our life, from literally our sexual emotions, and they're actually created once we pass in the realm when we're going through our life review and into hell and into heaven, those emotions are released, those sexual desires are released, go into the form plane, and then actually create the physical embodiment of the animal. And the dark magicians, this is occulted esoteric knowledge, the dark magicians behind the, you know, this kind of stuff, I think deep down understand this, and they play this against us to keep us in this cycle of death and destruction. We are definitely being manipulated to act out of species-specific behavior. We're not carnivorous. If you look at our our, our organs, our teeth, the molars, the, the digestive system, it's, it's so clear to see that we are frugivorous beings by design. Like, that's our anatomy. But we are totally acting out of alignment with our natural biology. And why is that? That's my question. Again, not to judge anyone, just to say, have you been manipulated? Are you under a spell? A lot of this imagery uh, in our pop culture is inferring that animals actually want to be eating. And this is pretty gross. I'll be showing several of these images. There's a couple of blogs that have dedicated themselves uh, to just this kind of imagery. Uh, I think one is called Suicide Foods and the other one is called Animals Who Want to Be Eaten. And it's a collection of of just countless uh, images like this. And 
I ask you next time when you're in town, just look around, look around the images of restaurants, restaurant menus, restaurant logos, just look around in the city and you'll start to see this kind of imagery. And it's so disturbing. Like here, you see the lobster, he's like on the grill. And it, it's so bizarre. The, the <laughs> Looking in the mirror. Isn't that interesting? Like he's concerned of how he looks, how like how yeah. hot he looks, right? Because he's and getting red hot. And so he's spicing it up. He, he wants to be more hot. And, and what they're doing is they're conflating the animal kingdom with the fact that animals eat each other because once again, it's the, the animal kingdom. It's the natural, it's nature running its program, right? The program that is the after effect of what I believe the human consciousness creates. And so once again, they are just mimic, they're essentially taking that out of context and somehow applying that to this commercial standard of that. It's okay. These animals want to be eaten by us. And this, these yeah. slides are insane here. Yeah. This is, this is McGormick. Uh, make it more tasty. Is the pongale lo saboroso. Uh, tu comida se va a poner más buena. Uh, it's going to make your food better. And it's, this, again, bizarre sexualization and like uh, this chicken is supposed to be, I guess, some sort of masculine uh, yeah. ideation, you know, the the sexy man's body. And then the fish is supposed to display some sort of like feminine curves and with the, the eyelashes and that kind of like flirty kiss. So it just it's just so disturbing when you think that this is the kind of imagery that is used to get us to buy these foods and to lust over them. Uh, this is another example where you see the cow is actually like happy to see his body being chopped into slices. And this one may be even like one of the most disturbing ones I've ever come across of um, salami. Well, and we see that this extension of this of the disturbing nature of where this leads to us when we've got Anna Bronovich or whatever her name is and all these these like Hollywood celebrities going to these creepy parties where they literally have humans that are on the table and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How far is it from from this? You know, that I know it's a, a extremely uncomfortable idea to think that this is close to cannibalism, but uh the animal of the pig in, in this question, something that I've come to learn uh, through my initiations and, and through my spiritual path is that the pig, the commercial pig, this pink skinned pig is not a natural creature. It's not actually a divine creation, that it's, it's a genetic modification. It's, it's something that is a resemblance from the past when what they're doing now, you know, Tinkering with our DNA was happening then, and the pig is basically a leftover of this a combination of a human being that's, and a um, wild boar. Yeah, that that's fascinating. Uh, I've I've had thoughts about that myself, and and the fact that of course uh, porcine derivatives are used in certain levels of medicine and even natural medicine because they most uh, resemble, you know, or, or more akin to human DNA. So yeah. uh, I, I think there's, you know, I, I pondered this a lot. There, there's something going on there. there. These are not natural creatures. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of my, my childhood on a farm and everything. I just always had kind of a disdain for these kinds of pigs. 
and and definitely much different than the wild boars you know uh, like yes. in hawaii we had a lot of wild boars just roaming the hills and everything so um yeah, I think it's crazy. a lot of truth to what you're saying there. It is. Because the and, pig's uh, heart. The fact has become a major, a major food stuff. I think there's, it, you know, there's, there's quite a sinister story there as far as why it's marketed, you know, for human consumption in the first place. And yeah. also goes back to the fact that we're learning that there's a lot of uh, fetal cells in human uh, uh you know, derivatives in a lot of the, the food that's marketed to us as well, not just pork. And um, there's there's a reason for that. There's a heavy price to pay karmically when we consume our own kind. So, yeah, none of this is by accident. No, no. And, you know, the pig's heart is the only animal's heart that can actually be transplanted into a human body. And it works. Right. And its intestines are indistinguishable from a human intestines and of course you know the medical school students used to practice surgeries on on pigs and and then when even just when you look at their eyes they have the white around the iris just like humans and they're extremely intelligent they're they're one of the most intelligent mammals on earth right there with chimpanzees and and with uh dolphins they're they're they can be compared to a four-year-old kid so what what is this and why is it pork that is in absolutely everything why is it pig that's on the christmas table you know why do they put this uh, gelatin in the children's haribos are we spiritually corrupted from the age of like two years old by eating that like the spinal strips from the 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 whatever sinews and, and tissues that are on the slaughterhouse floor where they make this this uh, this um gelatin from like is that the way that we are hooked uh, into this lower density, into this this uh, violence frequency that we are from child eating this. I don't know. It's just to me, it's so gross. And and all religions recommend against it. They they all say you should not eat pork, but because it's a dirty animal. And now I'm starting to understand. It's not like it's dirty because it's rolling around in the mud. It's dirty because it's not divine creation. It's it's a distortion of the animal kingdom. So this is a perfect time to talk about it because we're leading up to, to Christmas right now. Here's another very bizarre uh, image. This is the Freshello alcohol drink. And, and meat and alcohol are always advertised together. This is another very interesting thing, again, spiritually, when you think about it. And it says, Freshello, get married to everything. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Meats with spirits. Right. I mean, there's some more black magic there. Yeah. And this is like the bride. The, the pig is the pride and or the bride. And it's like, oh, when you're drunk, you will want to like unite with everything. You want to consume everything. You want to get married with everything. It's just so bizarre. It's satanic, really. Absolutely. And then look at this image. This is uh, for a Bernays sauce, delicious on fish. And here's this woman with half her body that have been devoured, a mermaid, that seems to have enjoyed that. So something that as a woman, when the more I look at this phenomena, the more I realize that this is the absolute most hideous violation of the, of, of the woman's body, the whole animal industry. Not just these images, but of actually what happens in the industry. Because every animal in the industry, they first have to be raped to reproduce. And it's the the female animals whose secretions are, you know, taken out 
and they're exploited and their their babies are taken away and so it's it's such a systematic violation of the woman's body when you start thinking about the animal industry and then when you see the way they advertise it and and the way they they sexualize animals it's just the most disgusting thing so i just want to ask like is this really what we think is this normal in our culture why have we accepted this this is another uh, this is a martini uh advert these are all three different images of, of this advertising campaign and it says makes food that easy that is so, so somehow bizarre. when you're under the influence of this alcohol you know you can pair it so nicely with with lamb or with with you know beef or with pork so you have these flirty female animals that are looking decadent and yeah, once again, the sexualization, the sex principle driving everything here because they understand. Yeah, yeah they under, they get it. They get it. Another one, again, hot Indian chicken. This is uh, decapitated <laughs> chickens having sex. Kama Sutra, a whole new vibe there. <laughs> and this one, turkey hooker. An easy pickup from pan to platter. And it's it's in the actual the actual tool that you use to hook the the dead flesh of the of the turkey. It's and then there's an image of like a flirty prostitute turkey there. This is a seasoning advert. The temptation of taste. It's interesting when you start to really look at this, how um, the the ad is actually um, doing the opposite to me than it's supposed to when you really are conscious about it. Yeah. So, Hannah, I'm I'm kind of on a, out of touch with all this because I, you know, I'm in my own little bubble for many, many years. I don't watch TV. I don't look at media. And and I feel like I'm on this uh fantastical national geographic voyage here um is this most of this from uh, the european and other parts of the world or is some of this from uh, north america as well because i mean this is like uh, outstandingly remarkable to me i just can't believe some of the stuff i'm seeing yeah yeah this is all north america uh, europe mainly we can link those wow. two blogs also in the show notes so people can go and find uh -huh. theirs i mean there's just there's weeks worth of this kind of imagery. I tell you, like yesterday when I was preparing for the show and I was going through that stuff, I remember I first came across it in 2012. And that's when I knew that I'll never eat animals again because I felt so like betrayed. I, I felt like uh, this freaking worm of a belief system has been living in my mind. This is the kind of thing that, that is there, you know, that I, I objectify animals as some sort of thing I can eat. So that was it for me when I saw this, this like, this holy wrath was born in me and I was like, I will never freaking do this again. But yeah. So when I was preparing for this and looking at these, I was just, it was like a part of my soul was, was just like crumbling in agony, just thinking that this, this is, this is so demonic. This well, is our culture. And, and, and let's keep in mind too, this cult, you know, this isn't my culture, but yeah, I know what you mean. No, mine, mine neither. The, the demonic sort of twisting of nature happens on all elements of everything they do. So 
you know, yeah, obviously uh, the commercialization of eating animals is foul, like no pun intended. Um, but so, you know, Hannah, <laughs> yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep moving down these slides. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I was just going to ask Hannah if she's uh, investigated into um, some of the fake meat products and, oh, yeah. and especially these celebrity meats where they, they, um, they say that they've got DNA from certain celebrities and, uh, you know, Franco sausage and stuff like that. Um, I mean, talk about in your face, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that is why uh, look, people who say, why don't we go into that next? I have a lot to say about that topic. There's just two more slides okay. and okay. then we can move into that. I think that's a really, um, really fruitful conversation to have. Talk about the mock meats and Great. the whole so-called vegan agenda that is happening. But mm -hmm. yeah, the last element of, so there's the objectify, ob objectification of animals, the sexualization of their flesh, and this like carnist, carnal desire, desire to possess another through eating them. That, that's kind of the imagery that we were looking at before. But this is the elitism that is also linked to eating animals. And here it says goose leg confit with parsley, uh, la... Le Cornichon, not sure how to pronounce that exactly. Viva la cuisine française. So long live French cuisine. And of course, this is uh, this is a reference to foie gras as well, which is like, without a shadow of doubt, the most cruel practice of in the animal industry, because they actually hook the goose to a tube and they keep feeding it until its liver explodes. And there's no anesthetic, wow. there's no anesthetics, there's no painkillers. It literally, while it's alive, it suffocates to death from for being force fed 24-7 until the liver explodes. And that's that exploded liver is the foie gras. And oh, so there gross. are people, yeah, there they, entire made that, uh, they made that illegal in California years ago. Yeah, oh, not not here. No, it's everywhere still. And there's people who take pride that their entire identity is intertwined with this kind of beliefs that, oh, I am somehow more special because I get to eat this product. So this is the, the elitism that comes along with it. And this is the same uh, series, the squid, you know. So again, viva la, la, la cuisine française. So these are the conquistadors, you know, the people who, who conquered the world. The, these are, you know... Um, I don't know, these army captains and, and then artists. This is the, the striped chicken with the red wine, you know, that, oh, the French art. So how much of these subconscious and unconscious connotations we have and associations in our minds that make us choose to buy certain products? Is, is it like a status symbol for some of us that, oh, when I buy this, it means I am like the French or I am somehow more sophisticated or, or more evolved or more rich or, or what, what are the reasons we buy the products that we do buy, you know, in terms of food and in terms of everything, of course. And the, and the chicken's got a gut, of course, <laughs> it's yeah. like the, <laughs> yeah. it's the standard male uh, f physical form these days. Yeah. Yeah. Like the luxury gut. So that was, that was it. That was my uh, slideshow. Let me see. Stop share. 
And the question now that you mentioned, Bar, uh, about them. And real quick, yes, Hulda in yeah. chat, she's wondering, did you put out a warning that there would be triggering today? Yes, I opened up the whole thing that people are going to, I literally talked about somatics and how people might be triggered to hit pause or whatever. So uh, yes, continue, Hannah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The question about the celebrity meets and and that. So I, I think this is the primary reason why individuals like, Bill Gates are driving the, the plant-based uh, agenda is to make us into cannibalists. I don't think it has absolutely anything to do with animals or not eating animals, but to get us to accept genetically modified organisms, plant-like substances into our diet as a stable, and then eating these lab-grown meats, which how can we know which kind of cell cultures they're using to generate these, these meats. And I have no doubt in me that these people wouldn't be sinister enough to use all these aborted human fetus cells, uh, which we have plenty of now, now that they have even this full-term abortion coming to legality in, in, in New Zealand. And there's so much material available that why would they not use it to create these lab-grown steaks and, and sausages? From that. So I, I honestly think that's the reason not to make us weak because we don't get to have the meat, but to spiritually completely distort our species and make us into cannibalists. So, so what would you say to the men folk who believe their tea count is uh, dependent on eating meat? <laughs> the talk to you, talk to bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what, where does protein come from? Just do a bit of basic research, you know? What about all the, the oxes and the rhinos and the elephants and the biggest, most ginormous, strongest animals on this planet or on this plane? Uh, how do they build their muscle? Well, with greens. So it's it's these belief systems. And, and if you look at the way gladiators were being trained, like I mentioned about the runners, the Incas, from the ancient times, the messengers, they, it would be like the Elvish in Lord of the Rings. They would have their Elvish bread. They would have their quinoa or their, their chia seeds. And that would be enough because food wasn't the focal point of everyone's life back then. It was literally just a little side thing that you take to keep yourself pumping so that you can do all the other amazing stuff as creator beings, the, the ones that we you know, truly are. So now the food has become this, this object of, of lust and identity and culture. And it's it's has a way too big of a portion in our yeah. attention. What was really helpful for me on my journey, I've, I've had many, many years uh, starting out, you know, when I quit football, uh, jumping into martial arts. And initially I was in, uh, you know, full contact fighting and, and still kind of in, um, you know, the my old body. And then one thing led to another in order to uh, try to get better fighting skills. And that led me to more of the inner arts and uh, hooked me up with people from the old country. And then it became a, a whole different pursuit. And what was interesting is as the, um, you know, just maintaining, you know, muscle bulk and things became less important because, you know, you're, you're focused on a different aspect of yourself, you actually become more proficient at fighting. So uh, what I was able to experience is that my physical performance 
uh, you know, was really more dependent on how, you know, I was able to manipulate my energy from the inside out. Also learn how to conserve energy, um, which is important for all males because we tend to waste energy in ways, you know, that if we knew how to use our own equipment, we'd, we'd be a lot better off. So um, it, anyway, it was a valuable experience for me because I realized that, you know, just coming from a typical male jock mentality, which is what always drove me, you know, uh, you know, that did lead me to the fact that it's not about your physicality and your physicality is dependent on energy, which comes from your consciousness. So, you know, learn about how your consciousness works. And, and, you know, before uh, we went live today, we we're just talking about uh, all the different debates that are going on, you know, as uh, what shape is our realm and, uh, you know, and all the all the different things that trigger people on one side or the other. And I just mentioned it, you know, what's most important to me is how things work. I don't care what shape uh, the planet is. I don't care about, you know, a lot of these debates. But if you understand how things function, then you can tap into that understanding and become a co-creator and even a responsible co-creator and be much more proficient at whatever you do. So I think a lot of these things, you know, I've just kept a little bit of a half eye open on the chat here. And, and as expected, you know, there's, there's, uh, it's quite lively today, but I think some folks just miss the boat and that they just can't, you know, release that whole thing of, of thinking that the external circumstances, whether it's the food you eat or anything is what's doing anything in the first place. Yeah. I, I think you hit the nail in the head there that it truly is about the the inner world. And then everything we do in life is a reflection of that. So if we are in conflict, then we are naturally drawn to the energy of violence and we will eat the product of that. And I can say for myself, when I came to realize the obscene violence that I was funding by buying animal products and stop doing that because I didn't, didn't want to enable that in our culture anymore. That was the first actual act of self-love towards myself as well. Something started unraveling in my heart and I, it's some sort of blockages started opening uh, in me and, and in my own trauma healing. And then through there, it was almost like going into another dimension where it wasn't any more about me first, which is, of course, a very common trauma response, because when we're in a state of lack, then we're in, in this urgent need of having things for us to, to fill that void, right? So a lot of our life choices are coming from that place of need for us to have things. But then when you start paying attention to the other life forms and the other beings and other people in your life, the heart begins to expand and I began to experience the pain, not just of me, but of, of everyone, you know, the animals, humans, children, you know, the, the plants and began to realize that, wow, I actually have a choice whether I do something about this or not. Do, do I just like that quote from the, from the beginning that do I just silently watch the world burn or do I use the voice that has been given to me by the creator to speak for the voiceless, speak for the ones who cannot speak for themselves? And I see the animals, this, this is what we need to do. They don't have a voice, although they are screaming. They are screaming behind 
the cold steel walls and the, the pools of blood on these cement halls, you know, they are being tortured. They are being raped. They are being decapitated. And, and you know, pigs are gassed first before they're killed. There's gas chambers in every country where they're killing these pigs by the millions. So how much of this energy is affecting us humans? You know, even if you just don't want to do it for yourself, well, what about our children? What about the future of humanity? Is this the kind of engine that we want to have running? This this constant generator of terror and just utter horror? Yeah. But the law of cause and effect is is going to always lead to world war, to wars, us killing each other. We yeah. kill the animals in this way. We mechanistically will be killing each other too. And we've seen it for thousands of years, right? People ask like Matt Bolera, love you, love him to death. He's been asking for, for years, why do we have war? Why can't we have peace in this world? Well, maybe we need to look towards what we're doing in our own backyards. Yeah. And, you know, two core principles of sort of um, voluntarism is do no harm right? This idea of non-aggression um, principle. And then of course, the um, the principle of private property. So every time that we kill uh, an animal, we're defying those two principles by uh, one, one doing harm and also taking their property. Yeah. Well, also our, our medical practices are all based on self-sacrifice and making war on our own bodies. Uh, you know, rather than understanding the mechanisms that got us there in the first place, uh, we try to remove parts of ourselves. Uh, we take drugs that suppress things. We take drugs that kill our our microbiome inside, you know, all of our, our, our elementals that make life possible. And uh, how can we possible, possibly come to a place of world peace if we make war on our own bodies? Um, Hannah, I have one one dilemma with the whole uh, vegetarian thing, and that is, uh, uh, what do we do with our carnivorous pets? Uh, you know, my uh, beloved uh, dog, who I had for many many years, made the journey recently, and it was heartbreaking. And uh, you know, I fed him meat, her meat. So, um, do you think that it's possible to transition? Uh, dogs most notably into a vegan diet and have them thrive yeah uh, both of our rescue dogs are actually plant-based uh, and what i mm -hmm. mean by that is we only feed them plants but when they want to they will source their own animal protein so mm -hmm. both of our dogs they look for bones actually we live here in the mountains so we're in an environment where the dogs are able to have a natural life as much as possible. So they're free, there's mm -hmm. no fences. And so they actually find bones from, from the mountain and they eat them. And also sometimes they catch a lizard or a gecko or a locust or a cricket and they eat that. But the, the basic stable foods that they eat is organic, beautiful lentils, uh, sweet potatoes, Peanut butter, dogs love peanut butter. It's really good for them because it's acidic. You can't have them on fully alkaline diet because the way their biology works, there needs to be a bit of acidity as well. And uh, vinegar and some brewer's yeast for the for the minerals. Uh, my husband makes the best dog food in the world. Well, it's, it's human food. We could eat it as well. <laughs> it's no difference. But but yeah, so we transitioned them as soon as we, we adopted them. 
and they thrive. They're never, ever ill. Their fur is absolutely gorgeous. Their breath doesn't stink, which is amazing because most dogs' breath stink. <laughs> Theirs don't. Their teeth are white and shiny. So yeah, dogs are opportunistic. So they've evolved alongside humans and their microbiome has actually developed alongside ours. So they can thrive on a plant-based diet. Yeah, I, I think so cats is another. Started, cats I, is another. Topic. I think it's important to make a distinction between wild animals and domesticated animals. So, like a yes. wolf is totally different than a dog yes, because dogs absolutely. have, for thousands of years, been connected to our thoughts and have. So they have a direct relationship to how we evolved. So I think that's an important distinction for us to understand. But uh, yes, cats. Cats uh, definitely are different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cats are different. Yeah. So I, I don't know if, if this is the well, reason think, why we don't have cats, because I, think, I, I haven't been able to solve that in my mind. How would, how would I do that? I think felines, once again, they're relating to the carnal desires of our emotions. And that's why they um, are created on this planet. And so they meet because they are a reflection of those deep desires and emotions we've had for thousands of years. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. I've never come across that before. I'm not sure if if I fully resonate with that, that that is all they are. Um, but definitely they are reflections of, of us. There's aspects of them in us, right? So perhaps the cat would also behave differently if it was surrounded by humans in a different frequency. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. uh, because yeah. there's that one video that I included in my presentation as well of um, a leopard that actually saved uh, a baby baboon because it killed its mother and then found this newborn baby. And suddenly these maternal instincts were, were awakened in, in her and she actually couldn't kill the newborn baby. And she started looking after it and the little baboon bonded with her and they started like following each other. <laughs> it's, so things like that do happen where animals behave out of their normal instinct, instinctual yeah. kind of species beha uh, specific behavior. And so, yeah, what if we humans return to our original design and, and essence and embody love on this earth and respect the freedom of all beings, what would happen to the animal kingdom? I, I think there's no denial that anyone has had cats and I've been a huge cat lover. They used to call me the cat whisperer in high school because I would always bring in <laughs> like stray cats that they are a, a, a pretty amazing animal in relationship to us because they're so individualized. They're so independent. They don't give a damn what you say, <laughs> right? Compared to a dog. They're very unique in that respect. So that would make sense that they are a higher uh, sort of impression uh, impression of what our consciousness is on this realm. Um, and also there's a lot of like traditional mystical relationships to cats, right? Like in yeah. terms of the myst mythical cat and, and all that throughout <clears throat> thousands of years in different um, cultures. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's really fun to think about this. And I'm glad we're having fun with this today, right? Because it can get really dense and, and sort of, you know, sad. Um, could you tell the relate the story about the mouse uh, when you were, was that in South America? Because I love this story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pedrito. Yes. Oh man, uh, absolutely amazing story. So I was studying the medicine of San Pedro, which is uh, this cactus. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. It's a visionary, um, yeah, entheogenic cacti. And I was 
currently under the influence of this cactus. And what, what it does is it tunes your consciousness to a frequency where you're able to actually see the life of other life forms, like visually, you're able to see the way trees are communicating. You're able to read animals in completely different ways. So you're just, all your senses are heightened and, and you're just totally in oneness with the, the rainforest. So I was walking around there on this one sunny afternoon after I'd taken San Pedro. And then I see this little mouse. It was the size of my, my three knuckles, this tiny little creature lying on its back and not breathing, just completely still. And of, of course, I'm straight away captivated by this little being. And I was like, oh, my God, is it is it OK? Is it alive? Is it dead? And I pick him up and he doesn't move, doesn't flinch, nothing. And I can see that there's a little heartbeat, just tiny little heartbeat, but he's not breathing. There's no air coming out of his mouth. And so I put a little drop of water on his lips and the, they just stayed there as a little bubble. Like it wasn't going in or out. I was like, okay, he's in a coma basically. Like he must've fallen from a tree and lost consciousness. And there he is. And the story of actually how he came to, I have to share this too, because it just related to our capacity as a being, as a human being. So I was thinking, how can I possibly wake him up? because he wasn't responding to anything. And then I remember the story of my husband uh, when he was in a music studio and there was a producer who accidentally stepped on a lizard. And this lizard was all like, you know, looked like it was, the, the, the body parts were like all over the place and like out of shape and stuff. And the producer had just picked up this lizard and put his hand on it and then said this, this Tibetan medicine prayer. And next thing you know, the lizard is in fully perfect form and it just runs off his hand. So I remember this story while I had little Pedro. I called him Pedro because I was on San Pedro. I have Pedro <laughs> in my hand and I'm like, okay, I wonder if Richie, my husband, you know, I wonder if he remembers that medicine prayer. So I go to his hut. He's currently communing with the medicine of tobacco, the sacred tobacco plant. And I said, Richie, I know I'm not supposed to come here because we were in isolation, but I have this little creature and he's like in a coma. Do you remember that Buddhist medicine or the Tibetan medicine prayer that you told me about all those years ago? And he's like, yeah, I do. And he only ever heard it one time. And this is the crazy thing. He took the mouse, put his hand over it. He said it. It's like five words. And the mouse woke up. <laughs> it was incredible. It just like, Droop. and so there's little Pedro come to life in a, in a mysterious way. And then uh, we were feeding him a couple of days, you know, giving him peanuts and stuff and thinking, all right, well, he's now ready to go back into the wilderness. I put him on the earth. As soon as I put him on the earth, he just climbed right back up. He's like, no, I'm, I'm not staying there. So okay, you, he, well, had, maybe he's... he had actually befriended you. Like he was not biting you or anything. He was happy no. to be in your hand. He was happy. He was totally just like cuddly, you know, I guess bonding, you know, thinking that I'm, I'm the mother. And so, okay, we kept him a little bit longer, fed him for a couple more days. And maybe after about a week, I'm thinking, yeah, he is, you know, being of the wilderness. So I, I should not keep him. And I, then I put him in a hole in a tree. So I figured he's, you know, probably a tree climbing little critter. I put him in a hole in a tree, said my, you know, blessings, goodbye. Went back into my hut. And then later on that evening, the guy who we were living with in the hut, he's like, Hannah, Hannah, your friend's out here. And then his dog, Gaia, was trying to catch this little mouse that was circling around our front porch uh, door. So, okay, I take him back in and I realized he did, he's just too young, you know, he's, he's not ready to make it in the wilderness. So he stayed with us for two months 
in the jungle and it i never knew how intelligent these little beings are it was just extraordinary he knew his name you know if i called pedrito he would just run across the space and, and like climb on you he would do these tricks like if i was on the on the hammock he would go on my feet and then he would do a backflip <laughs> like literally a backflip and then i'd be like oh bravo pedrito and he'd do it again and again and I never trained him. This was his own behavior. This is his, you know, intentional behavior. And if you pet him on his little belly, he would return the favor by like giving you a little, little lick on your lips or on your earlobe. Like he would hold your earlobe and like lick your ear. And he was incredible. He was in, even in a ceremony with me one time. He was just sat in my pocket all night in silence, just listening to the shaman <laughs> singing. <laughs> just, That's great. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, And then finally, he left by himself. You know, when he was ready to go into the wilderness, he took himself out because he would visit the jungle through the the palm leaf ceiling. He would go in and out. And then one night he left and uh, he never came back. Wow. I love that That's amazing. Hannah, if you wouldn't mind us just uh, digressing just uh, here before we finalize here. I know it's on the mind of some of our folks. It goes back into the dietary level. But, uh, you know, people are always wanting to bring up the work of Weston Price. Uh, I believe Weston Price, um, you know, is kind of a myopic view and more of a contrast between what happens when we're taken off of real food, uh, you know, versus, uh, you know, more synthetic factory food. And that's really the the thing that um, that's valuable in pointing out. Weston Price also ignores many other cultures that uh, you know have greater longevity, health, and and greater spiritual attainment. We'll say, uh, you know, when they don't eat meat and things. So, what are your thoughts on the folks that say, "What about Western Price"? <laughs> well, there's so many teachers like him, and uh, mm-hmm. honestly, I don't concern myself too much uh, with with these things. I go back into human biology and what grows off the earth and knowing the way that our anatomy has been created and and that's that i keep it very simple you know yeah there's merit to when you're healing your body let's say you have you know different uh, malnutrition or you have some sort of autoimmune conditions because of vaccines or whatever there may be states in your life where you need certain animal products for medicine. And I don't deny that because I know individuals who first had to go on certain animal products like ghee, for instance, or honey or meat. And then when they gained balance and and homeostasis in their being, they were able to then, you know, transition out of that. So by all means, if if you are struggling on a plant-based diet and it feels like your body is not ready to take that kind of fuel, which is very different frequency wise and, you know, energy wise, then listen to what your body needs and go with that. But, but ask yourself, what is the underlying cause of this? You know, is it that there is emotional trauma and because of the trauma, I'm constantly leaking life force. And that because of that, I need denser energy and I need to eat animal flesh because I'm taking in their vital life force, their prana to make up for my own. 
So maybe the first place I would start then is to look at your traumas, you know, look at the woundings, make sure that you're not leaking energy, that you're here, that all your, your, your biofield is intact. And there's many ways you can do healing, of course. One way is with sacred plant medicines. Other ways is like with uh, Eileen is teaching about the tuning, your biofield through meditation, prana, you know, uh, breath work, prayer, just loving your fellow human and your, your animals. Love is a beautiful medicine. So, you know, go gradually, take step by step. But I don't follow any, uh, I don't have a guru when it comes to nutrition. I just think of the, the creator. Uh, okay, well, I'm supposed to be a forgiverous being. So I try and go as close to that original diet that that has been created for this kind of anatomy. And that is just lots of fresh fruit and high carb. My diet is high carb and high water and organic and as local as possible. And I thrive on that. But hey, we have different blood types. We have different, you know, Ayurvedic doshas. Some need different kinds of energy. So it's all individual, but I do believe that all of those different, you know, systemic differences and, and blood types and, and things can be addressed through the array of the plants. I do believe that because there's just, imagine the species of plants we have on earth. There's just infinite amount of different kinds of configurations of nutrients and, you know, minerals and water. So yeah, find out what is your, your energy, you know, what is your make? What is the dosha, you know, are you high fire or earth or wind or, and then start maybe from there, what, and it, what balances your energy and start with your trauma healing and then start working through, you know, your dietary choices in terms of whether there's animal products or not, but it should and, be uh, a, a free will choice it should not come out of someone convincing you. It should come out of a natural love for yourself and for for the for the animals and then through there it's like a liberating experience it's not that you're you've been guilted into it i think that's the real I the agree. real path yeah. of wellness yeah well, well well said extremely well said and uh my final comments in this discussion is something i learned as a child from my grandfather which is what comes out of your mouth is much more important than what you put into it Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that's what Yeshua also said. There's a quote in the Bible, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Words of wisdom and the logos is the word. It all comes down yes. to the word. And I think once again, guys, if we can sort of always try to step back and get away from the gross materialism and start to really look at the real science of the of the nature of the realm and how everything's is mental and electrical and related to how we think we can really change things quite rapidly we really can that's what's so beautiful about when you understand the true science and physics it's like things can turn around in your life like that yeah. um yeah so hey Hannah, this has been such a phenomenal talk i think it's so important and you've done such a great job as always and you know what you're a great representation of living your truth because look at you you're vibrant and healthy and and full of spark 
Um, so it helps what, that I'm next to a fireplace. <laughs> I'm literally <laughs> roasting here. <laughs> so where can people find you? I will get all these links in the show notes below. Please send them to me on Telegram after. I want to get those blog posts on there and anything else. But where can people find you and follow you? Um, you didn't really mention too much. I don't know if you, uh, but you're the whole, um, you were doing a really cool campaign and um, and uh, we shared it and we were involved. Bear was involved with uh, bringing food back to the local sustainable oh, yeah. save our food save our yes. food absolutely oh man there's so much to talk about that as well but it's a campaign to counter the fear around food scarcity and to really champion uh regenerative farming as a way to also heal the earth and help empower people to transform their lawns into food forests. So we're, of course, collaborating with, with Jim Gale and the Food Forest Abundance and a bunch of people. So yeah, that's an initiative that I'm working on, saveourfood.net. You can check it out. I have a bunch of um, different campaigns and organizations that I'm working with and that I'm running. So you can find all that on my website, hennamaria.community. You have all the links there. And then uh, you can find my cha uh, Telegram channel. I think it's hennamaria22, um, where I post my things. But I do have to say, I have stepped back a lot from social media because uh, on 1st of January this year, I left Facebook and Instagram because I, I want to practice what I preach. And I was realizing that it really was consuming way too much of my life force. And I was getting too um, uh, identified with number of followers, number of comments, number of likes. And I just quickly wanted to just sever that and don't want to make myself into some sort of a uh, it thing or uh, an influencer of any kind. I'm interested in just collaborating with people and if you want to collaborate with me, get in touch. Um, I, I love to help people get connected and, and help lift people up as well. So I'm not out to be followed, but out to inspire and collaborate. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I got off Instagram three years ago and I foolishly got back on uh, to promote <laughs> mu music and sky. And I definitely have seen how it sucks you in real quick. There is, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. You sh I should get, we, sh we need to get you on Cordal. Cordal has a very vibrant community. It's not about fikes, likes and follows. It's just about independence and being off the system. And actually, if you know what's going on in China right now um, with them um, basically rising up and using Apple, cutting off their ability to connect with their airdrop, there are actually a lot of people in China are using Cordal because wow. uh, uh, you know it's impossible to stop it. So uh, there are uh, obviously with technology, uh, just like we were talking about before, a lot of it's not black and white, and it's how you choose to use it according to your yes. own mor moral demeanor. And uh, anyways, I think you would really enjoy the community on there. And uh, I'm very excited about where people are going in terms of their relationship technology and getting off the fake books and the Insta crimes because um, <laughs> those are really uh, meant to channel you into the, the sort of what we were looking at earlier, those carnal desires of the, of the yes. sexy chicken. You know, it's like that is what they're doing on all levels, right? Um, Absolutely. And, and, and playing with our emotions. So thanks so much again, Hannah. Um, we, uh, we love you dearly. Thanks for spending the time today. Everybody in the chat, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a very lively chat. And I think overall, given the, uh, the nature of the topic was very good. I'm very impressed with our community as always. Uh, you can join us on telegram at t.me forward slash alpha Vedic. 
go follow or don't follow henna but join her on her uh, wonderful mission she's doing so much out there in europe and next time you come across the pond if you ever do make it back to cali holler at us we'd love to host you at the farm we've got a we got a place for you a nice comfortable bed and over the smith river where we can uh, really enjoy our time in the physical together because that's as important as ever these days so um, i'll make it happen i promise that would be phenomenal okay we guys thank, thank you for having me thank you thank you so much you're awesome and uh i would love to visit you and your side of the pond as well i have a lot of relatives over there that i've been trying to get over to see and um you know i have a dual citizenship so uh maybe sometime i'll oh wow yes please you're welcome yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be an absolute honor. Thank you, everyone. And, and lots of love to everyone who's tuned in to the chat as well. And if you want, you can uh, comment below the video and I'll, I'll come and respond. If you have any questions for me directly, I'll, I'll happily come into the comment section of the video and then, yeah, grind at it. So beautiful. <laughs> I'm all for, for <laughs> dialogue you. and comments. Yeah. That's great. So yeah, on YouTube, uh, we're also on Unite Live. This will also be on Odyssey. So um, YouTube seems to still be the hot spot where most of the chat is, but that eventually will probably get we'll probably get banned eventually. We'll see. So, anyways, <laughs> thanks so much, guys. Remember to get outside, get your uh, feet in the dirt, go for a hike, uh, go plant something. Mother Nature is our best guide. So go show her some love, and we'll see you next week. With um, uh, I think we're going deep into biogeometry next week, Bear. So oh, Dor fun. is it yeah. Doria Kar Kar Karim? If yeah. I saying your name, yeah, yeah. So that's going to be Karim's daughter and main teacher of biogeometry. Yep. So prepare it up. Go again, guys. We're we're bringing it. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you later.